ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله خير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار uh, so this is our sixth lesson on the virtues and excellences of the statement la ilaha illallah and in this treatise, in this work that we are working through, there are 40 ahadith which have been compiled on the virtues of the statement La ilaha illallah. And in the previous lesson, we finished discussing hadith number 16. And in that hadith, the hadith itself was da'if, even though the meanings in that hadith can be found in other authentic texts. And in that hadith, uh, the meaning of the hadith basically is that La ilaha illallah, there is no barrier between a servant and between Allah, meaning his declaration of La ilaha illallah and between Allah Azza wa Jal. There is no veil or there is no barrier between, between that. And we looked at some of the benefits that could have been taken or that are taken from that particular text. So we start today hadith number 17 and this comes under the bab and la ilaha illallah sababun dhunub that this statement la ilaha illallah is a cause of the expiation of sins the hadith is from Abu Huraira radiyallahu ta'ala anhu and he said qala rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم من حلف منكم فقال في حلفه باللات والعزاء فليقل لا إله إلا الله ومن قال لصاحبه تعال تعال أقامرك فليتصدق from أبو هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه who said that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, whoever swears amongst you by other than Allah, and he says, when he, when he, when he swears, he says, by Allah and Al-Uzza. So he swears by Allah wal Uzza. Then let him say, La ilaha illallah. Let him say, La ilaha illallah. And whoever says to his companion, come, let us uqamirka, which means to gamble, to, to indulge in um, an activity, which, which, is, which is the type of gambling. Then let him give in charity. And this hadith is reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. So from the benefits that can be taken from this hadith, First of all, is the excellence of La ilaha illallah in the sense that it is an expiation for a person who swears by other than Allah. Who swears by other than Allah. 
This statement, this declaration of Tawheed, it expiates for the one who swears by other than Allah. Secondly, this at the same time establishes that to swear by other than Allah, to swear by other than Allah, it is shirk. That it is shirk. And this type of shirk, the scholars they explain and they clarify with respect to swearing by other than Allah, that if a person, it is from the habit of his people that they swear by other than Allah, and it is not intended that a person actually venerates that person or that thing. So it's just customary amongst the people to swear by other than Allah. It's a bad habit and they just say it, by so-and-so and by so-and-so. Then this does not enter into major shirk. It is shirk, but it is from the minor shirk. However, if the person venerates, so when he makes, when he, when he, makes, he, he swears by this person or this thing other than Allah, and within his heart is da'zim, there is veneration of this thing, which enters it into the realm of you know, actual worship, the worship which then makes it into major shirk, then the scholars they make a distinction between these two affairs with respect to swearing by other than Allah. In addition to this, we find that the scholars they also discuss an issue which is, is minor shirk forgiven? Does it come under the verse, Inna Allah la yaghfiru an yushraka bihi wa yaghfiru ma duna dhalika liman yasha. Indeed, Allah does not forgive that partners should be set up with him in worship, but he forgives whatever is less than that to whomever he wills. So here now there's an issue, is minor shirk, does it enter into this verse? Or does it not enter this verse? And the scholars, they discuss this issue. And from the scholars who've mentioned in summary what the views and opinions are, is Shaykh Ubaid al-Jabari, Hafizahullah, in his explanation of uh, Nawaqib al-Islam, the nullifiers of Islam. And he, he says that basically the scholars have two views. Uh, the first view is that of all the sins... Minor shirk is not included in those affairs that a person, for which a person is under the will of Allah. Because we know that in general sins, if a person dies upon sin, he commits major sins and he dies without making tawbah. Without making tawbah. That person is under the will of Allah. If Allah wills, he will forgive him. And if Allah wills, he will punish him. However, the scholars they say, because Allah Azawajal, He said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ Indeed, Allah does not forgive that shirk should be, you know, that, that uh, worship, partners are set up with Him in worship. Then, this is general. This is general. Whether we are speaking of major shirk, or whether we are speaking of minor shirk. This enters into the ayah. And so therefore, these scholars, they are of the opinion that major sins, a person is under the will of Allah. However, minor shirk, 
is a greater sin than the major sins. Like for example, uh, gambling, stealing, fornicating and backbiting and things like that. Then minor shirk is a greater sin than that. And it does not come under the will of Allah. If he wills, he will forgive. And if he wills, he will, you know, he will punish. Rather, a person will be punished for that. It will not be forgiven. So this is the view of some of the scholars. They basically say that this ayah is general. It did not make any distinction between major shirk and minor shirk. Rather, it includes all forms and types of shirk. But then there is the other view. And uh, they say, rather, this comes under the Mashia, the will of Allah Azza wa Jal as well. And they bring the evidence, and the evidence that they bring is actually this hadith that we just read. This particular hadith, and the various uh, variations uh, of this. So, another variation of this hadith reported by Al-Bukhari, أَلَا إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَنْهَاكُمْ أَنْ تَحْلِفُوا بِآبَائِكُمْ فَمَنْ كَانَ حَالِفًا فَلْيَحْلِفْ بِاللَّهِ وَإِلَّا فَلْيَسْمُتْ Indeed, Allah prohibits you from that you swear by your forefathers. So whoever wants to swear, then let him swear by Allah. Otherwise, let him remain silent. And in the hadith which follows on this, the hadith of Abu Hurairah, the Shaykh mentions that hadith, مَنْ حَلَفَ فَقَالَ فِي حَلَفِهِ وَاللَّاتِ وَالْعُزَّةِ فَلْيَقُلْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Whoever says, whoever swears, and he swears by Allah wal Uzza. He says by Allah wal Uzza. Then let him say, La ilaha illallah. Let him affirm, basically let him affirm the kalima, which means let him affirm tawheed. So the point being here that in this hadith, the messenger of Allah sallam, he simply ordered the person to say la ilaha illallah, to cover up and to remove that statement of, of shirk. That statement of shirk, which he said, which he said prior to that. So, the point being then from this is that when we speak about swearing by other than Allah, then the scholars give this tafsil with respect to it. The one who swears by other than Allah, it is simply habitual and it's like a bad habit. The person just says it, but he does not intend veneration of that person. Of that thing, then this is this is from the minor shirk, and there are, if he basically venerates that thing, he makes the theme of that person or that thing in his heart, and you know it is from that angle. This then now is major shirk, and this is not forgivable if a person dies upon that. If he dies upon that type of shirk, so this is the second benefit that swearing by other than Allah is shirk. The third benefit that we take is that which relates to al-qimar. And al-qimar is basically a form of gambling. And it is when uh, there's some sort of wealth which is involved and a man is not sure whether he is going to profit or lose, whether he's going to acquire something or lose something. And uh, this is what is referred to in the, Qur- <coughs> in the Quran as al-maysir. Which is basically a game of chance. <coughs> Al-Maysir. Mm. 
So in the Quran, we see in Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse 90, Allah Zawajal, He says, Ya ayuhal ladhina amanu, إِنَّمَا الْخَمْرُ وَالْمَيْسِرُ وَالْأَنْصَابُ وَالْأَزْلَامُ رِجْسٌ مِّنَ الشَّيْطَانِ مِّنْ عَمَلِ الشَّيْطَانِ فَاجْتَنِبُوهُ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ O you who believe, <coughs> indeed, al-khamar, which is alcohol, and al-maysir, which is a game of chance, and al-ansab wal-azlam, and these are types of, uh, when, when a person... <coughs> he throws an arrow and depending on how the arrows arrange themselves then a person will either make a decision about something or he will read it in terms of luck or fortune this is what is meant by al-ansab wal azla so all of this is from the rijs it is a type of evil which is from the working of shaitan from the deed of shaitan so shun it in order that you may be prosperous. So here al-maysir, when it says al-maysir in this ayah, then coming within that is al-qimar, al-qimar, which is, as we said, a type of gambling. Also from the benefits that we take from this hadith is that we learn that sins, when we commit sins, then the expiation is by way of a deed which is from the same type, which is of the same category. So if you reflect upon this hadith, you will see first of all, that swearing by other than Allah is something which enters into shirk. And so its expiation is by affirming that which opposes it, which is, which, which, which is connected to it, meaning... Its opposite is Tawheed. So you say, La ilaha illallah. And similarly, Al-Qimar, which is a type of gambling, is a type of, uh, is an activity which involves wealth. And it is an unlawful, false type of use of wealth. A false type of uh, disposal of wealth. So the expiation for that is to give sadaqah, is to give charity, because charity is a true disposal of wealth. It is a disposal of wealth which is done in truth. And as for gambling, it is a disposal of wealth which is done in falsehood. So, like for like, you give charity and it expiates the act of gambling that you fell into. And in uh, relation to this, Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, he explains in Al-Fatih, citing from Aqtibi, who said that the wisdom, the wisdom in mentioning Al-Qimar after swearing by Allah, what's the connection between the two? Between the issue of this minor shirk, repelled by Tawheed, and the issue of gambling, repelled by charity. He says the wisdom behind this is that the one who swears by other than Allah, then he has acted in the same way that we see the disbelievers act. Because the disbelievers, they swear by their deities. They swear by other than Allah. And so a person, when a, when a, when a person does this, he is resembling them in their action. And likewise, the one who calls to gambling, the one who says to his companion, come let us engage in 
you know, gambling. Let us gamble with each other or play with each other, meaning in a game of chance. And likewise, this person has resembled the disbelievers in the activities that they engage in. The various activities of gambling that they engage in. All the various forms and types that, you know, that, that they have in the past or in the present. Whether it is cards, whether it is the, the, the spinning wheel, the roulette, whatever else they have, all these different forms and types. Then he has agreed with them in their activities. So therefore, he ordered that person to make kafarat, to expiate for his sin by giving charity. And notice that in the hadith, it said, وَمَنْ قَالَ لِصَاحِبِهِ The one who said to his companion, Come, let us engage in some gambling. Meaning the one who calls the person to engage in gambling. It is for that person that he give charity. Without that person even having gambled. Do you understand? Because it says, مَنْ قَالَ لِصَاحِبِهِ تَعَالْ أُقَامِرْكَ the one who says to the companion, come, let me, let me play, gamble with you. This person is the one who say, the, the, who, who ought to give charity in order to expiate for that. This shows that the one who actually gambles, the one who actually engages in the deed itself, then it is even more emphasized for that person to then give charity in order to expiate for this sin that he fell into. So this is the benefits that, these are the benefits that we take from this hadith. Uh, the shahid, the point of evidence for us in this hadith, is the fact that the kalima la ilaha illallah, it expiates this deed, this, this action, which is an action of minor shirk. When it is not, when a person swears by other than Allah, without him venerating, you know, the thing or the person which he is swearing by. And this practice, you see, unfortunately, it is present in many Muslim societies out of ignorance uh, you know, uh, they they swear um, in in dealings and other things like this, or to you know assert that they are being truthful, and they swear by other than Allah, and without thinking about what they are doing, because it's just customary that they've picked it up from the habits of the people, but without thinking. And so, as the scholars explain, if it is not done with veneration, then it is a minor shirk. This brings us to the next hadith, and this hadith. This is from Anas bin Malik. This is hadith number 18. From Anas bin Malik, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, who said, A man came, qala rajul, Ya Rasulullah, ma taraktu min hajatin wadajatin illa ataytu aliha. He said, O Messenger of Allah, man from the companions, he came. And he said, O Messenger of Allah. And he mentioned a phrase which means that I've not really left anything speaking about deeds. Like evil deeds, sins, except that I have committed, committed it. So the Messenger of Allah Sallam he said, "Alaysa tashhad, Allah ilaha illallah, wa anna Muhammadan Rasulullah." Qala naam. The man see, so the Messenger Sallam he said, "Do you not testify that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah, and that Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah?" The man said, "Yes." So the Messenger of Allah he said, فَإِنَّ هَذَا يَأْتِي عَلَى ذَلِكَ So he said, for indeed this, meaning the kalima, it overcomes that, 
Meaning, whatever you have done of deeds, whatever you have said, that you've not left anything except that you've committed it, then this, it overwhelms that. And this hadith declared sahih by Sheikh al-Bani rahimahullah in as-sahihah. So from this hadith, there are a number of benefits. First of all, that Islam removes that which is before it. Islam removes and expiates everything which is before it. And obviously the foundation of Islam is at-tawheed, as expressed in this kalima. The second benefit is that a person does not enter into Islam except by expressing the shahadatain. Ex- ex- except by expressing the shahadatain. The third benefit is obviously the virtue of the shahadatain, and this is the shahid, the point of evidence for us, that expression of the shahadatain, they are a cause of the expiation of sins. They are a cause of the expiation of sins. And just like in the previous example, we saw that when a man, he uh, you know, swears by other than Allah, and he says, La ilaha illa, to affirm that tawheed, it is an expiation for that. So, uh, the shahadatain, the statement, La ilaha illallah, and expressing the messengership of Muhammad that this is an expiation of sins. Also we learn from this is how the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, when they committed sins, they would fear their sins. And they would come to the Messenger of Allah Sallam in all frankness and honesty. In honesty and frankness they would say that I, without necessarily mentioning the sins, that there's no thing that I've left except that I've committed it. And they feared for themselves and they came for guidance to the Messenger of Allah so this shows this is how the Sahaba were. They were honest, they were truthful, and they would come for guidance. And we see that from the vastness of the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal, that He changes evil deeds. If a person's tawbah is correct and valid and meets the conditions, Allah changes those evil deeds with good deeds. Or he replaces them, or he changes them, and so we come to the ayah in the Quran, <coughs> uh, in Surah Al-Furqan, in which Allah Zawajal He says, "Illa man taba wa amana wa amila amalan saliha, faulaika yubdilu Allahu sayyatihim hasanat." Which reads, in fact, this ayah comes. It's important to understand what, what comes before this ayah. Before this ayah, there are mentioned three qualities of the believers of things that they do not fall into. Those who do not, who invoke another deity besides Allah. And those who do not kill a soul which Allah has made inviolable. And those who do not commit zina, So these three sins are mentioned, and then it is mentioned that the one who brings these sins, his you know punishment will be uh, doubled, and he will be you know in, in humiliation. Except then this ayah comes, except the one who repents and works righteous deeds, then uh, such a one 
Allah will change his evil deeds into good deeds. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا And indeed Allah is forgiving and merciful. Now, regarding this issue of changing evil deeds into good deeds, the scholars have two opinions. In fact, this difference goes right back to the Mufassireen. Uh, when we look into the books of Tafsir, Al-Baghawi, Al-Tabari, and other than them, we see that they cite from the Mufassireen, from the Sahaba and the Tabi'een, that there are two opinions, two explanations in fact, as to what it means. What does it mean? Change evil deeds into good deeds. So there is one view from uh, among the Mufassireen, and they say that in the life of this world, Allah will change the deeds of a person who used to be upon shirk, used to be mushrik, committing shirk, and the one who committed murder, and the one who committed fornication. Allah He replaced those deeds and gave them instead tawheed, the statement, La ilaha illallah, and worshipping only Allah alone. And instead of killing unlawfully and unjustly, he gave them jihad, which is struggling and striving and fighting in, in, in the path of Allah for a just cause, for a just reason, for a just cause. And instead of fornication, he gave them that would, in that in which there is chastity, ifa, and you know, zawaj, marriage, and that in which there is chastity. He gave them uh, the, 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 the context and the means within which to do that action which entails chastity and purity. So this is the meaning of changing their evil deeds, what they used to be upon, into righteous deeds, which is, you know, the opposite. Shirk to tawheed. Murder to that fighting which is actually justified and warranted, and, you know, uh, for truth. And fornication for that which is chastity. So this is one meaning of tabdilu, tabdilu, uh, tabdilu sayyat, altering and changing the evils, evil deeds, into hasanat, into good deeds. The second explanation, the second uh, meaning which is given by some of the mufassirin is that on, on the day of judgment, on yawmul qiyamah. So the first explanation was in relation to the world. Second explanation is in relation to yawmul qiyamah. That on the day of judgment, and they actually mentioned the hadith, the hadith that they mentioned, well-known hadith, of the man, the last man to come out, he will be brought out, and the last man who will enter into, into paradise, and he will come, and there will be the, you know, his, his records of, of deeds, and um, many of his sins will have been erased for him. And the man will come and it will be said to him, did you not commit this sin and that sin and this sin and that sin? So some of the lesser sins will be mentioned. And the man will say, he, he, he will know that he committed those sins, but in his, in his self he knows there are even greater sins which have committed, which haven't actually been mentioned. So he will say, but I have other deeds besides these. And then the, the hadith continues that basically those deeds were altered and changed into good deeds. And this is from the bounty and the mercy and the grace of Allah So on the basis of that hadith, 
It is the view of some of the Mufassireen that this ayah means that actual evil deeds will be turned into good deeds. And this is for the person of Tawheed, obviously. So, these are the two views about this. And At-Tabari, rahimahullah, he says that the stronger of these two explanations is the first one. Is the first one. But that does not mean that the, you know, the second explanation uh, is not also valid at the same time. But he simply says that the stronger of these explanations, Allah knows best, he says, is the first of the two. So this is hadith number 18. And what this hadith indicates is then is expiation of sins by way of the kalima la ilaha illallah and how the sahaba would fear and uh, you know the evil deeds that they used to commit and they would come to the messenger of Allah and ask for guidance. Now, it's important to keep in mind what we mentioned in previous lessons that a person is always worshipping Allah in between fear and in between hope. And these texts that we mention, these texts are not a justification for committing sins. Rather, these are sins which people commit in a state of weakness and ignorance. And truthfully feeling remorse, they want those sins to be removed. And from the greatest of that which removes sins is obviously Tawheed. Tawheed expiates for those sins. And so these type of texts, they're referring to uh, you know, we're not, we're not speaking about people who deceive themselves and who from the outset they think, right, I'll commit such and such sins and inshallah, I will say the kalima la ilaha illallah and my sins will be wiped clean. This now is a person who is not being truthful with Allah. not being truthful to himself, nor is he being, he's not being truthful to Allah. He's deceiving himself. So these texts, these are, these are texts which should be understood in the correct and in the, in the, right, in the right way. And only those use these texts as a justification. Those who are from the murji'a, the, the people of irja, the ones who basically say that actions are not from iman, actions, evil deeds will not harm a person's iman. Iman is only what is in the heart of belief. Do whatever you want, your, sin will not, your, your, your sins will not harm you and your iman will not decree. This is from the way of the murji'a, an astray deviant group. Whose doctrine, this doctrine is an evil doctrine. It is from the most evil of doctrines because it strips away faith from the people. The people then become bold towards sin. They don't see sin as something great. They belittle sin. So these texts, to emphasize again, we mentioned it in previous lessons as well, that these texts are not a justification for, commit, for committing sin. Rather we say that Tawheed is great and mighty and... A person should not despair of Allah's mercy if he falls into sin. And, you know, these types of texts, they indicate that a person who dies upon Tawheed, he will be forgiven his sins by the mercy of Allah. This now leads us to the next hadith, and this is hadith number 19. The hadith of Mu'adh bin Jabal, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, and he said, Qala Rasulullah sallam, Ma min nafsin tamut, تَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ يَرْجِعُ ذَلِكَ إِلَىٰ قَلْبٍ مُوْقِنٍ إِلَّا غَفَرَ اللَّهُ لَهُ Reported by Ibn Majah and An-Nasai and Shaykh Al-Albani rahimahullah declared it to be Hassan. So from Mu'adh bin Jabal who said that the Messenger of Allah he said there is no soul which dies 
testifying that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah, and that I am the messenger of Allah, and that being returning back to a heart which is muqin, which has absolute, which has certainty, it has certainty, yaqeen, except that Allah will forgive him. So this hadith again, there are a number of benefits from this hadith. First of all, just like in the previous hadith, the excellence of La ilaha illallah, in the sense that it is a cause of the forgiveness of sins. So this is very clear in the, in the, in the hadith. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we see in this hadith, and likewise in the previous hadith, that there is a connection between tawheed, a testification for tawheed, and the testification for the risala, the messengership of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And these two are basically tied and connected. They cannot ever be separated. This is what we find in the kalima. La ilaha illallah, Muhammad rasulullah So, tawheed and ar-risala, ar-risala is the way and the means by which Allah azza wa jal, after creating his creation, it is the means by which he sent them guidance. And, we find that in the Qur'an, if we were to stop and think about the various means of guidance that Allah could convey to mankind or the means, first of all, angels. Allah has denied in the Qur'an that angels, given the reason, given the reason in the Qur'an, Say, if there were upon the earth angels walking, walking in tranquil, tranquil, and then you know, in, in ease and tranquility, if there were angels upon the earth walking, then we would have sent them an angel as a messenger. So, angels are not sent. As messengers, because on the earth there are men walking. There are not angels walking upon, upon the earth. That's the first thing. Second thing, we find that Allah messengership, ar-risala, is something that is chosen. It is istifa, an ikhtiyar. It is Allah He chooses a messenger amongst all of the people. And so, from this we learn that it is not the case that Allah He reveals a message, He inspires this one, and inspires that one, and inspires guidance to this one. Because, you know, there are many people who claim prophethood and messengership, uh, or they claim that they speak to Allah, they speak to God as they say, and God speaks to them, and they speak to Him, and they receive guidance. Anyone who makes this claim, this is kadib, this is false, this is a lie. Allah he sends his guidance only by way of messengers whom he chooses. So messengership is chosen. He chooses truthful, honest, upright people and he conveys to them the guidance. And then they convey that guidance to mankind faithfully, honestly, truthfully and they fulfill the obligation that is upon them. And then Allah he supports these messengers. 
He indicates their truthfulness by way of signs, by way of you know many things, not just one thing, by way of numerous signs, by way of their truthfulness, by way of their honesty, by way of their akhlaq, their mannerisms, by way of miracles that he gives to them, the various miracles which are given to them, by aiding them against their enemies, by supporting them, by making them victorious, and so on and so forth. So it becomes clear to the people that this is indeed a prophet and a messenger from Allah, and he's distinguished from everybody else. So it is a must that the true prophets and messengers, the prophets and messengers, that they are distinguished from those other than them. And Allah he establishes that clearly for the people, so that the people can see that these are indeed truthful messengers from Allah. So, angels are not sent. Each individual is not inspired, as in receiving revelation. Rather, the message of Allah is given only by way of chosen messengers. And that's why the issue of messengership, issue of messengership and what is a true messenger, how, how do we know a true messenger? And removing all these other issues about, well, because some people say a messenger is just really, as we see the philosophers and the disbelievers, the prophets were just really intelligent men, very clever men. They had vivid imaginations, they, were, they had very powerful imaginations, they could think of things and imagine things in ways that the normal person cannot do so. And using these imaginations, they are able to invent stories about things that don't really exist, like paradise and hellfire and jinns and angels and things in the grave. And so they invent, they concoct these things, you know, from their powerful, vivid imaginations. And they are also very smart and shrewd people. They also have very strong leadership qualities. They know how to lead people and how to um, you know, organize and arrange them. This is what they say. This is, what, how, this is how they explain, the disbelievers, the philosophers, this is how they explain the prophets. This is what they really were. And they claim that any person can become a prophet. Why? Because prophethood is in these three things. You've got to be very shrewd, very clever. You've got to have a high level of intellect. Number two, you've got to have a very powerful imagination. And number three, you have to have the ability to, you know, uh, to, to, to lead people. Right? And they mention like some of these qualities. And this is all being a prophet. It, it, this is all it is. And you can acquire prophethood. You can become a prophet. And you can actually be more superior than the prophets. This is what they say, the philosophers. Because they say the prophets and messengers, they simply invented things. They fabricated stories. But they did it for a good reason. They did it because they wanted to guide the people and help them live a good life. To live a moral good life. And they did it by telling lies and inventing stories. But they did it for a good reason. This is what they actually say. And on that basis they say that as for us, the philosophers, we are better than the prophets because we do not tell lies, we study things, we investigate things, we use our reason and we deal in actual facts, actual realities. Right? This is, what, this is how the disbelievers, they explain the issue of prophethood. And all of this is kadib and lies and falsehood. Rather... The reality is that these people are inspired by the shayateen in what they claim. And 
the messengers and the prophets, they receive revelation from Allah And Allah establishes ayat and baraheen and evidences and proofs for their truthfulness. And that's why from the clearest of evidences that the prophets and messengers are truthful is that every number of things. First of all, first of all you see that the message of all of the prophets and messengers is one. Do you see any internal contradiction between the message of Nuh alayhi salam and Ibrahim alayhi salam and Musa alayhi salam and Isa and Muhammad sallam? You don't see any any uh, uh, incoherence between the messages of all of these prophets. Rather, their message was one: at tawheed calling to Allah, and adherence to the law and obedience to the messenger. It is always one. Number two, you see that those who have the greatest mention on the tongues of the people, they are the prophets and messengers. Compared to everyone and anyone else, you hear Ibrahim alayhi salam, you hear Musa alayhi salam, you hear Isa alayhi salam, the greatest of them, Muhammad sallallahu Their mention is multiple times more than the mention of anybody else. Anybody else. Thirdly, we know from transmission that So we were mentioning the fact that the Prophet's messengers, first of all, their message is coherent. Their message is one. About creation, about the purpose, about the, the content of the message itself to worship Allah alone, it is all coherent and it is one. Number two, we said that the mention of the Prophet's messengers is great over and above all other people. Allah has made great their mention, and He has made the mention of the Messenger of Allah the greatest uh, of all of all of them. Thirdly, you see that the prophets and messengers are upright, truthful, honest people whom we know by way of oral transmission, by way of oral transmission. And as for those prophets who have been lied against, because many of the, you know, for example, the 
Yahud, for example, tell lies against many of the prophets, like Suleiman and others. And Allah he has refuted and rebutted those false allegations with respect to Musa with respect to Suleiman and other than them. So all the prophets' messengers, we know them to be upright, truthful people. And they did not commit major sins. They did not commit you know, uh, major sins. When you compare them to these other, you know, these so-called philosophers and people like that, you see that they are the most depraved and despicable of people. You see they are the most vile of people and the deeds which they engage in, you know, of vices and things like that. Where is the comparison between, between, between these two? And um, so the, these are just some of the you know, distinctions between uh, the prophets of Allah and the messengers of Allah, how they are chosen by Allah. And it's a rebuttal of the claims of these people who try to explain what the prophets and messengers were. And they try to explain it away you know, based upon their, uh, their false views and their false opinions. And as for these people themselves, as we said, they, they, their, their revelation is from the shayateen, from the jinns, from the devils. And that's where they receive their inspiration from. And when you look at their message, the various messages of all these different philosophers, you see it is contradictory, incoherent. This one disagrees with that one. Even his own views contradict each other. One time he says this, another time he says that. Right? It's all incoherent babble and, and, and nonsense. So the point being that Tawheed is connected to Ar-Risala. These two cannot be separated. Tawheed is connected to revelation and Ar-Risala by way of the prophets and messengers. And as for that which is besides it, whatever clashes with it, then that revelation is coming from the shayateen, from Iblis and from the jinn. And that is their revelation. All the views and opinions that they give about whatever it is. Right? So connection between Tawheed and Risala. And connection between shirk and kufr and the inspiration of Iblis, the shayateen and the jinn and the devil. So that is the second benefit we take from this hadith. And the third benefit that we take from this hadith is that indeed a person's deeds are in accordance with their endings. A person's deeds are in accordance with their endings. And this is based upon uh, the hadith which mentions إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالْخَوَاتِيمِ This hadith is in Al-Bukhari. إِنَّ الْعَبْدَ لَيَعْمَلْ عَمَلَ أَهْلِ النَّارِ وَإِنَّهُ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ وَيَعْمَلْ عَمَلَ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ وَإِنَّهُ مِنْ أَهْلِ النَّارِ وَإِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالْخَوَاتِيمِ Indeed a man, he does the deeds... Of the people of hellfire. But indeed he is from the people of paradise. And indeed a man does the deeds of the people of paradise. But he will be from the people of hellfire. Indeed deeds are in, are in accordance with their endings. Which means that a person's life is sealed by the deed that he dies upon. The deed that he dies upon. And that's why in this hadith, what this hadith indicates to us, as we see in the hadith, that there is, the hadith states that there is no soul which testifies, which dies 
testifying that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah, and that I'm the messenger of Allah, with a firm heart, with, with certainty, except that Allah will forgive him. And so this text and many other texts like it indicate how the Salaf, how the Sahaba, how the Salaf used to fear dying upon an evil deed because the a'mal, the deeds are sealed in accordance with their, with, their, with their endings. And so this is a topic in itself and for short of time we'll, we'll continue with the next benefit which is that in, in the hadith it said, يَرْجِئُ ذَلِكْ إِلَىٰ قَلْبٍ مُوْقِنٍ it mentions certainty when a person says it with certainty of heart. And this indicates that yaqeen, to have certainty, is a condition of saying la ilaha illallah. It is one of the seven conditions of the kalima la ilaha illallah. And we covered this in the previous lesson when we discussed that the shahada, the kalima la ilaha illallah, has numerous conditions. Knowledge, a person must know the meaning of la ilaha illallah. Secondly, he must be certain of its truth. He must be certain of its truth. Uh, secondly. Thirdly, he must have qabul. He must accept that he is obliged to act and abide by this kalima. And fourthly, he must make outward compliance in qiyad. We mentioned these in the previous lesson. So yaqeen is a condition of expressing the kalima la ilaha illallah. And this itself, it leads to all of the other conditions. And finally, we learn from this hadith, the greatness and the vastness of the mercy of Allah, Azza wa Jal, in that, by, in that a servant, when he declares the kalima la ilaha illallah out of certainty, then Allah forgives his sins for him. Allah forgives his, his, his sins for him. So all of this then concluding is an indication of the tremendous benefit and the tremendous excellence of the statement of Tawheed, La ilaha illallah. If a person dies expressing this statement of truth and justice and righteousness, then Allah will forgive all of his sins and enter him into paradise on account of his mercy, on account of his vast mercy. So we'll conclude there for today and we'll continue in the next lesson inshallah ta'ala. And in the next lesson, we will start looking at hadith that starts speaking uh, from the point of death onwards. From the point of death onwards, and the effect of the kalima la ilaha illallah, and likewise the questioning in the grave, and issues that follow on from that. So that will conclude. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.